Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Thomas Oakes. I'm a covenant partner here at FPC and have been for about a year to a year and a half. Um, and I have the honor of reading scripture this morning. And it's a long passage, so get ready. Uh, this morning, we continue our study of Hebrews, celebrating the better things of our salvation. God's grace nourishes our faith with the sustenance of God's word for our growth and his glory. Let's continue worship through reading Hebrews 5:11 through 6:12. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Um, my name is Joe Moore. I'm the assistant pastor for older adults and congregational care. And I'm excited to be here today. And those of you who know me, this is me being excited. <laughs> and even if you don't. Get all situated here. We've been, as, as we've already heard, we've had the scripture reading. We have been working through the book of Hebrews uh, since the beginning of the year. And it's been a smooth trail up to now. 
the scriptures that we, we read this morning have a little bit of, of excitement to them. Uh, and as Alex said in the first service in traditional, we understand why Mitchell and Bob took this week off to go, <laughs> to go on, on spring break. But we'll spend time together today focusing on what it means to grow in our faith and to grow up and not be holding on to the immature things, to holding on to the milk and cookies of our faith, but be ready to move into and, and be willing and be challenged and be prepared to move into the more mature meat and potatoes of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we can walk through that and then we'll land at the communion table. And I'm excited about that because communion is a place where, where we come together as a church. We come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We come together in communion with God and in community with each other. And that excites me. That's, that's what we're all about. And that's what energizes us to move forward and be involved in the hearts and lives of people around us as we become ambassadors and witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful that we can be here today. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to come together and to share in your word together. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and give us clarity of thought as we move forward in this portion of Hebrews. Thank you for what you've been teaching us. Thank you for how you care about us and give us opportunity to grow together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What we've learned so far in Hebrews is that Jesus is the true king that Jesus is the final prophet and that Jesus is the perfect priest. And that's the teaching has been moving along smoothly, but the author seems to be pumping the brakes a bit because of an observation of the lack of spiritual health and spiritual maturity and spiritual desire of his audience. He wanted to move forward in his teaching but there were, were obstacles of resistance along the way. And I think there is a moment, or have you ever been talking to someone only to see or to feel that their eyes are glazing over? That's not happening yet. <laughs> it may happen later. Their eyes are glazing over and they're not catching anything that you're saying to them and they may, may not even be hearing your voice because they're just not there. And Hebrews calls that dull of hearing. And I think there's a moment like this between the end of chapter 5 and 5, 7 to 10 and 5, 11. Beginning with seven, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save 
him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Here's the voice, here's the phrase that I think is the speed bump. Being designated by God a high priest out of the order of Melchizedek. Now, everybody in the room knows who Melchizedek is, right? Okay, if you don't, you can Google it, and maybe you've already done that. But for the writer of Hebrews, saying that to the Hebrew Christians, that he is so, so earnest in his heart to prevent them from turning back to their Judaism, to, to the traditions of their faith as, as, they, as, as Jews, he's, he's trying to make points for them. But when he says... Being, being designated by a God, a God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, it's like the author heard them say, Melchizedek who? Because these Hebrew Christians, these, these folks that grew up in, in their Jewish tradition and understanding the history of what's going on through, through the beginning of all the patriarchs and especially Abraham and Moses. And, and they're, they're seemingly not understanding, not connecting when he throws out Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 14, in a valley in the northwest of Jerusalem, Abraham had engaged in a battle with the kings, the surrounding kings. Lot had been taken and kidnapped. And when Abraham won that battle, he was met in the valley of the kings by Melchizedek, king of Salem and high priest of God. And Melchizedek blessed him, brought bread and wine to him, and Abraham gave him a tithe. Now, if you were a Hebrew Christian, if you were a, a Jewish young man or young woman, if you were attending synagogue and listening to the stories of the law and the prophets, you would have known this. You would have known who Melchizedek was. Melchizedek was the one who came to Abraham, who blessed him, who, who brought wine and bread to him, and Abraham paid him a tithe. What's significant about that in that, that there are elements of who Melchizedek is and was that were tying him as a high priest and a high priest of God. The Hebrews should have known that. But it seems to me that, that the writer of Hebrews began to feel like, you're not with me. You're not hearing me. There should have been some amens in the room when he said that. But that didn't happen. Because he, they were described as being dull of hearing and spiritual babies. Verse 12 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And that was not a positive statement. 
that was not a, an admiration of, of growth. It's basically saying, you're acting like babies. All you want is milk and cookies, but you need to move on to the real meat of what you can, what you can do in your relationship with God. Basically, he was saying to them, grow up, get weaned from the milk, and move on to the meat. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He's saying to them, you're children. You don't even know how to distinguish between good and bad, good and evil. All you want is milk and cookies. And you are, it, you're, it, it's like if you're, if your 14 year old was still wanting to drink from a baby bottle, would you have concerns for him or her? And that's what the, the, the writer of the Hebrews is saying to them. You are acting like children, but you are grown adults. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And then he, 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 he lists some of them out. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead and faith toward God and instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are all things that are basic understandings in our relationship with God. We need, we need to understand repentance. We need to understand faith. We need to know about washing and cleansing and baptism. We need to know about the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of the dead and the, our eternity, but we don't stay there. These are the beginnings of what we learn as we, we come to faith in Christ. And these are the foundations that we build on, but they're not the extent of everything that we need to know and to understand. And that's where it comes in beginning with verse six. It's therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And this we will do if God permits. But because of where you are, because that you are acting like children, because you're satisfied with milk and don't want to move on to the meat of scripture and to grow and to mature, we're not sure we're going to be able to do this because we need to see God working in your lives. Are you with me? Setting the scene of, and, and, and hopefully we are looking at ourselves every day to be sure that we're not just satisfied with milk and cookies of the gospel. Now, there may be days when I get frustrated and I just can't think and I don't want to be challenged and I may curl up in a fetal position and just give me some milk and cookies. But I don't want to stay there. That's not where I want to stay. And God doesn't want me to be there. And we need to move on. Now, here is the tough portion of these verses and of this chapter, beginning with verse four. He says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, 
who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then to have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Did you hear what that was saying? It says, it is impossible. What is it impossible to do? To restore those again to repentance who have fallen away. Does that confuse you? Just a little bit? It confuses me. And that was the point where I, I'm sitting there thinking, yep, this is why Bob and Mitchell are on vacation today. As I dug in a little bit, and when I, when I first read this, I was reminded of scriptures like John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my, out of my hand. And my father who gives them to me is greater than all. So no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I remember hearing things like his steadfast love endures forever. So where is that connection? What is that saying to us where it says it is impossible to, be, to return? And then as I began chewing on through the meat of these verses, I did cry out. Let's go back to the milk and cookies. I understand the concept from my experience as a youth pastor working hard to prepare my seniors to leave for college only to find that they've ignored my advice to find a good Christian organization on campus like FCA or Crew or IV and were headed down a path away from Jesus, I saw some of them return, but I'm still praying for many of them. And I was in youth ministry for 28 years. And some of you may be, be experiencing that with, with your own children, your own kids, or maybe your friends, or maybe your grandchildren, who at one point were connected in their understanding of what they needed to do in their relationship with Jesus Christ, but have since, have since moved on. Do these verses mean that there's no hope for them to come back? I don't think so because of the foundation that we have in our understanding of our faith, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So what does this mean? Because we can't ignore that this is what this portion of this, the, the, this chapter in Hebrews. So as I did some digging, I learned that every, every theological system can hang their hat for what they believe on these verses. Do you understand what I'm saying? Any theolo most theological systems or beliefs or understandings, whether you believe that we can lose our salvation, whether you don't believe we could lose our salvation, whether you believe we can fall away, whether you don't believe we can fall away, are hanging their hats and interpreting these, these words to say, this is what we believe. 
And when I see things like that happening in, in my study and, and my experience of working through and trying to understand what God is saying to me, when I see there is a place for everyone to hang their hat, then I don't get worried. Because do you, do, if, if there's a place there where everybody can, can feel at home, then I think there's room for me. And it's not something that, that I feel that it's exclusive of saying and, and concrete to come down and say, this says we're going to lose our salvation. Because when we make those kind of conclusions and we make those kind of observations, we need to take a look at the whole counsel of Scripture. And in the whole counsel of Scripture, I'm convinced that God endures to the end with us. And there's always room for us to be there with him. And the beginning of that verse says, it is impossible. And I was talking with Bob before he left. I said, help me here. And he said, well, it's, it's impossible with you, but nothing is impossible with God. So we're not trying to demean the wording of these verses. And we, we will understand them at some point. But it's not like these verses is a place to develop a theology or a doctrine about losing or keeping your salvation. And then I found the lifeline. And that's in verse 9. It says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. You know what I hear there? Are there any college students here today? I'm thinking they're all in a traditional service because that's where Alex is. <laughs> but have you ever been in class and, and your professor or a teacher says, this is important, but it's not going to be on the exam? <laughs> ever heard that? And what do you do? You take a sigh of relief and you say, I am going to study my heart out on this, but I'm glad it's not going to be on the exam. Well, that may only be half true. I don't have to look at this anymore. I don't have to pay attention to this anymore because the professor said it's not going to be on the exam. Now, I'm not saying that I'm done with digging into this portion of Hebrews. But verse 9, I really do believe, is our way out. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. Do you hear those words? Full assurance of hope until when? Until the end. That gives, that, that is, is my lifeline. So then, 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Those last few verses don't say that we're lost causes. Those last few verses give us the hope that God's love endures in us, through us, and for us forever. Now, that's not saying we, should, we can ignore all the admonitions of Hebrews up to now that says, don't fall away. Stay diligent in your pursuit of your relationship with God. What, what he was talking about when he said uh, there's, there, it is impossible to be regenerated are, is describing someone who just says, I'm done with it. I'm not going to pursue it. I'm not looking for truth. I'm just done. Don't be done with it. When, it gets, when the going gets hard, when you don't understand, find a place, find someone, find something, stay in the scripture and stay connected and move forward and pursue your relationship with God. And that's the message of Hebrews. Don't give up. You know, don't throw down your marbles and say, I'm done. I'm going home. That sounds pretty childish, right? Don't be childish. Grow up. Stand firm and move forward. So that you may not be sluggish, but you can be imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. We will inherit the promises of God. It takes continued pursuit. Now, yes, if, 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 if some, but even if someone says, I give up, I believe and I believe, we believe as a church, and this is where I may get in trouble for preaching heresy, but I believe that Jesus endures with us to the end. I can say with assurance that I'm not sure what that is really saying in there, but there's a lot of complicated explanations that take us to a place that we don't have to worry Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. Today, we're, we're, we will be celebrating communion together. One of my favorite things to do with the church, with us as community, is to come together at this table. And this table is not the table of First Presbyterian Church. This is the table of the Lord. And if you are a believer, a follower, and know and understand what it means to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are welcome to come and receive communion with us today. Take the opportunity to look around the room and know who you are communing with. Number one, Take the opportunity to have that special connection and communion with God as we share in this. 
But don't short, be short-sighted of the fact that all of us in this room are on this journey together. And we are having communion with God and with each other. And that's the richness of what we experience together as a church. And that's why we come together with the bread and the cup to remind us of Christ's body and blood that was given for us. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful as we come to the table today that your steadfast love endures forever and that no one can pluck us from your hand or your Father's hand. And as we come together around this table, I pray that you will draw our hearts together in an understanding of what it means to commune with you and to commune with each other. Father, our hearts are broken by what we see around us in the world today. We pray for the countries of, of, of Eastern Europe. We pray for the Ukraine. We pray for the surrounding countries and we pray for Russia as well. We pray that your hand would be in all of this, even though we don't understand what you're doing. We trust in your sovereignty. We trust that you are in control and we pray that your perfect love would cast out all of our fears. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you are involved in our lives. Thank you that you take care of us in every situation. We pray for those who are, are grieving because of loss of loved ones. We pray for those that, that are facing surgery. We pray for those who need your touch of healing. We're thankful that your Holy Spirit walks beside us and comforts us. Give us opportunities to, to come along beside each other as we go through the experience of loss or health needs. Thank you that we can be together as a church. Father, we're thankful for the work that you're doing in and through this body. We pray that you would continue to guide and direct the leadership of this church. We thank you for the faithfulness of our covenant partners. And we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to be your ambassadors and to be witnesses in this city, in these walls, and throughout the world. Pray for your guidance and direction as we seek to serve you and as we move together as a body of Christ. And now help us to live as Jesus taught us to live and help us to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. And in these moments here, in these moments here, help us to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.